Hi, my name is Jorge Cruz, and I'm the number one New York Times bestselling author and leading fitness, nutrition, and peak performance trainer to the world's busiest celebrities. You may have seen my work with Oprah Winfrey, Khloe Kardashian, Tyra Banks, Kelly Clarkson, or even Dr. Oz. My career started because in my early 20s, I was out of control and addicted to sweets, carbs, and salty snacks. And experts told me to simply count calories to get control. They were wrong. My passion to get control of my hunger led me to find simple ways backed by science that would turn off physical hunger as well as my emotional eating instantly. And I know I can help you too. Welcome to The Jorge Cruz Show. Well, happy Sunday. It's December the 6th. Uh, Welcome to the Jorge Cruz Show. I'm Jorge. This is the number one show for for what I would call getting the confidence, the strategies, the tools, the focus for radical control over sugar, carbs, and salty snack foods. Because in my 20 plus years of being an author, uh, I've been a trainer for over 25 years. The only thing that seems to sabotage our weight loss goals, our health goals are carbohydrates. And it's either carbs, sugar, or a combination. And sometimes uh, there's salt involved, but I always have to say that salt is actually good for us. It's the potato, it's the corn. That's the stuff we gotta minimize. And I'm not saying we have to exclude it. Believe me, I still have chips and crackers and all that. I I, uh, do that on special occasions. Uh, It sometimes uh, is the weekend, but you know, when you eat in what we call a time-restricted window, and right now a lot of my clients are following this Zero Hunger Plan. And so now through Zoom, we've been doing that. And if you are interested in that for the future, you can always sign up. We're closed now, obviously, but we had over 800 people apply. And I think we're right around 120 people are in the plan. So it was a very select group of people that entered and and made it uh, into where we're at now. And tonight we have a meeting. Uh, as we do every night at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And I hope if you weren't able to get in this time, you'll get in next time. We'll be opening it up in January. And uh, it's it's an extraordinary place to really empower yourself to get that radical control so you can really put uh, these things that tempt us, you know, sugar, carbs, and et cetera, in its place and have control over them, you know. So on today's show, I'm so excited. The reason I'm doing this on a Sunday is because I want you guys to have it uh, before the week starts. And obviously, you can enjoy this at any time, but it's with Rob Wolf. He is literally the world's leading expert in Paleolithic nutrition, which basically means ancestral health. And his passion for over 20 years, we're the same age, has been to focus in on what our ancestors ate, you know. And on today's show, you're going to discover the simplicity and the elegance that our ancestors used unintentionally, not knowing. But sometimes when you have divine grace or you have some, I don't know, intelligent design involved here, you end up following things that work. And our ancestors, as as Rob will tell us, had health. You know, they may have not lived as long as we did just because there wasn't any medical intervention, no hospitals, no doctors. So if you got an infection, you got a cut, you broke an arm, um, you know, childbirthing, all that. uh, If it wasn't perfect, you know, you you could have died. And so, but if you made it past, they say, the age of 30 or 40, back in the ancient days, you probably made it to 70 or 80, you know, and without diabetes, without heart heart disease, without cancer, without, without all the things that what we now call our underlying 
underlying health conditions that can hurt you normally, can help you through hurt you through COVID nineteen, et cetera. And so, on today's show, I think you're going to have a clarity that's going to come from his conversation about what our ancestors did and how we can do it too. And it's super simple. You're going to learn about meat, salt, and water, the three amigos <laughs> that our ancestors really utilized. Shockingly, as much as some of us think we were hunters and gatherers, uh, we were primarily, I would say 99% of the time, hunters and less than uh, you know the minority minority of the time, I can't say that word, <laughs> uh, we gathered only for survival, but to thrive, it was hunting, you know, and I know a lot of people that I've worked with have no problems eating a kind of a, a high protein, high fat diet. But on today's show, I think you're going to see how not only is it good for us, but shockingly, and, and Rob has a new book called The Sacred Cow, and it's a documentary too, um, that really talks about how uh, conscious um, farming of animals like cows and beef and all these things can actually help the earth rather than hurt the earth. There's a lot of people that I know that I love that are celebrities and well-known uh, figures out there are vegan because they want to help the earth, you know. And so shockingly, you know, Rob has insight on this and wanted to share it. And so his new book is amazing. And he's the author of past New York Times bestsellers, The Paleo Solution and Wired to Eat. And truly his passion comes from not having health himself when he was younger and and um, as I did. And so it's a great story. I think you're going to fall in love with Rob and you're going to see how passionate he is about his his mission and his rebellion, he calls. He has a great podcast show he'll mention as well. You got to definitely subscribe to all his stuff. So that's on today's show. Rob Wolf, super excited and honored he's on the show. Uh, let's give a shout out to our sponsors, guys. First, we're brought to you by my website, zerohungerplan.com. And it's a new website that just came out this year. And it's where you most likely have been to if you did try to sign up for our challenge. And if you haven't signed up for the challenge, I want you to check it out and sign up for our incredible uh, daily newsletter that is starting tomorrow for the first week. And every day I'm going to be sending you a simple what to eat idea to turn off hunger. So I want to utilize this moment to get you to over to, to zerohungerplan.com. That's Z-E-R-O, hunger plan.com and scroll to the bottom. It's totally free. Just give me your email. And I promise we're not going to send you junk. It's just simple strategies every single day to turn off hunger and give you that radical control in an email format. And you'll get a simple tip. It's short. It's sweet. You can share it with others. It'll inspire you. It will empower you. And it'll give you um, strategies, truly shortcuts that are proven. And, you know, it'll give you that control that we need. So check that out, zerohungerplan.com. And I think you'll love it, guys. We're also brought to you by Rob Wolf's website. So shout out to him because he's on the show today. But his his company, Elemental Labs, has become my go-to place for uh, sodium, especially on the go sodium, because he has these electrolyte packets that are delicious. He's got orange flavored, lemon flavored, all these things. We talk about it on the show today. And what he's giving all of us is if you sign up for a value bundle, you get a fourth box, so a free box of his electrolytes, which is a $45 value, by simply going to the following URL. It's drinkelement.com forward slash Jorge. And I'll spell it for you. It's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash Jorge. 
and uh, sign up, guys, and you'll love it. It's stuff I use, uh, and if you sign up for the auto ship, it's even lower. So the price is really good. It's a great, great thing to have on hand. Uh, you guys know we can make our own drink, what we call zero hunger water, with sodium and magnesium and potassium, but this makes it all for you. It's done, and it tastes sweet, and it's sweetened with stevia, which is natural. So you'll really love it. Good stuff. So thank you to Rob on that for various reasons. And then finally, we're brought to you by shopdrtest.com. Now, Dr. Tess is America's leading dermatologist, most favorite dermatologist. She's gorgeous. She and I are the same age as well. And uh, she is offering all of us her secret, uh, I think, potion. Um, it's a tablet to gorgeous skin in collagen format, which comes from bone broth, the bone marrow. And it's called Lively Healthy Skin. And she's giving all of us 50% off at checkout with the code Dr. Tess. So um, if you want to have your skin look good, you want it to stay elastic and supple, or say you're losing 20, 30, or I usually tell people if you're losing more than 40 pounds, you have to take collagen, bone broth, but it's going to help with the recoiling of your skin. We did a whole interview, she and I as well, so you can always check that out at uh, JorgeCruzShow.com to see our past shows. But Shop Dr. Tess is amazing, guys. It's the exclusive place where you can get this 50% off. I'll spell it for you. It's S-H-O-P. D-R-E-S-S dot com. All right. And thank you to Dr. Tess for that. So with that said, guys, I'm super excited because you're going to sit down with me and in the next 90 minutes, I think you're going to have some profound aha moments. And I think you're going to understand the elegance of the Paleolithic area, era and how our ancestors truly were not people that had disease in their life. You know, they didn't have obesity. They didn't have heart disease and they didn't have all the issues we had. They enjoyed salt because that was a way to preserve things, but they mainly ate it even fresher than that. And so this simplicity of eating a high protein, high fat diet, which can be controversial, I think is going to make you feel more comfortable by the time you're done listening to this. And I think it's something you're going to want to share with your loved ones. So let's get started right now. Here's Rob Wolf. Well, welcome everyone to a very special podcast show today. I'm super thrilled. Uh, joining me on the other side of the Zoom here <laughs> is a man who's really the world's leading expert when it comes to Paleolithic health. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He uh, used to be a biochemist. He's a, a podcast host. I think he's truly got this, this grasp on, on nutrition. He's written a couple books. Uh, his name is Rob Wolf, of course. The Paleo Solution, one of my favorites, kind of like the initial book. And then this one is kind of a great one, How to Turn Off Cravings with Wired to Eat. And he's here. Rob, would you say hi to everyone, please? Hey, huge honor to be here. Thank you. Oh my gosh, uh, the honor is all ours. And, and I know my listeners, you know, they are people that are trying to get radical control over sugar and carbs and salty snack foods. And I always have to tell them it's not the salt that's bad, it's the potato and the carbs that we got to be more cautious of. And I feel like you've known this for, oh my gosh, you started, if I remember my history a little bit, back in the, was it the 80s and 90s, you kind of transitioned from being a biochemist to opening a gym and kind of being more proactive with health. And uh, you had some sort of health crisis, if I remember. But share with us a little bit of your background, because I feel like your work is pivotal with what you're doing. You have kind of a new rebellion, this new, um, how would you describe it? Well, it's a podcast, but it's also a movement, right, Rob? Yeah, yeah. It's called the Healthy Rebellion. The goal is to get a million people out of the sick care system. And I guess that's kind of the the end point of, you know, 20 plus years of tinkering with this stuff. Uh, in the late to mid 90s, I was a 
bench researcher looking to either go into a PhD track or medical school, but ended up developing a pretty gnarly case of ulcerative colitis. Um, wow. I'm about 165 pounds, 5'9", 165 pounds. Uh, at the low ebb of my ulcerative colitis, I was 125, 130 pounds from malabsorption wow. issues. Like I, I would eat food and it would come out pretty much the same way it went in. And I, I was pretty much dying. Uh, the doctors wanted to do a bowel resection on me. Oh and again, God. I was about 26 years old. So um, not super good prognosis for long-term health and all that stuff. Wow. And it was interesting. My mom had suffered from a lot of the same things that I was dealing with. A bunch of wow. gut issues, some things that we discovered were autoimmune related. Sure. But her rheumatologist did some really comprehensive blood work on her and figured out that she was reactive to grains, legumes, and dairy. And wow. when she told me that, I was like, okay, you react to grains, legumes, and dairy. What on earth do you eat? <laughs> you <know? And laughs> what's so, left? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what's left? And I was kind of noodling yeah. on that. And wh it, this was, again, this was around 1998. And so- Now, had you already done your work in, in biochemistry? Tell us, get, yeah. take us back to college, why you studied it. And then obviously your mom had an impact yeah. on you. And then you had an issue. And then take us to where you are, Teddy. Give us the the kind of the origin story in a few minutes, and then we're going yeah. to dive into some questions that uh, I know our audience has for you because I, I think of you as truly the godfather of paleolithic nutrition. And I think oh, thank you to have your insights on the ideal diet. I think is one of the biggest questions out there. I know you're a big advocate of sodium use, which I love. I'm a huge fan of this product, which I think, you know, <laughs> element. We love this stuff. Um, I've been recommending it to celebrities. So maybe we can get into the solution, but first tell us your, a little bit of your background from how that started, because you studied biochemistry before these health issues and your mom and all that. Yeah. Take us back. Yeah. Just you know, my, my, my mom had been sick as long as I can remember. Oh. And I had this sneaky suspicion that both, both my parents smoked, my dad drank, they didn't exercise. Yeah. I had a pretty good idea that, you know, eating differently would, would lead to better outcomes than what, what they had experienced. And that drove me, uh, in a lot of directions. I was a California state powerlifting champion at one time, got into Thai boxing, have always been, been interested in human performance and everything. Sure. And that definitely drove me into the biochemistry track. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do research, wasn't sure if I wanted to do more of a, a clinical, you know, facing deal, being a, a doctor, but the long and short is that I lived in a way that crushed me. So I, mm -hmm. I shifted from a vegetarian diet to eventually a vegan diet, which I don't actually want to demonize that more than what it should be. Like yeah. for dietarily, that was definitely not a good fit for me. But at the same time, I was sleeping like four hours a night. Wow. I, I was living in Seattle. I had not seen the sun for a couple of years. So I, I <laughs> shudder to even think what, what my vitamin D levels were. Um, yeah. My circadian biology was just terrible. Uh, super high stress, no, no meditation, no, no stress mitigation or what have you. I don't think, well, I, I know now that something like a, a grain and legume based, uh, you know, vegan type diet would not work for me. Like I'm just yeah. not cut out for it. I do a lot better on protein and fat, yep. but it was all of this stuff together that, that damn near killed me. And so wow. it was, it was when the, the doctor was figuring out what was going on with my mom. He figured out that she had celiac disease, that she had several interrelated autoimmune uh, conditions 
And so this was where I kind of had an aha moment when, when my mom told me she was reactive to grains, legumes, and dairy. I was kind of like, man, what do, you, yeah. what do you eat if you don't eat that? And again, this is back in 1998, but I had heard of this concept of a paleolithic diet or a hunter-gatherer diet. Because I was thinking grains, legumes, dairy, that's agriculture. What do we do before agriculture, hunter-gatherers? And it was really just this kind of like free association so I went into the house, turned on my computer, waited for the computer to boot up and there, uh, you know, did the dial up deal. <laughs> yeah, and then there yeah. was this fancy new search engine called Google. And into wow. Google, I put the term paleolithic diet and I found some interesting information and it suggested that there were a lot of potential problems with GI issues and digestion. And it just fit me to a T. And, and for so the, that for was the folks where, listening, not to interrupt, but tell them what Google said back then and what you would say in a briefer statement of what that, what that term is. A pale, what was it? A paleolithic diet is what you typed in? Yeah. Tell yeah. the folks that don't and, what uh, that is because the way our ancestors ate to a high degree, right? That, that, that's kind of, you know, within anthropology circles, folks have observe that both uh, contemporarily living hunter-gatherers, hunter-gatherers that, that are still out in the wild, and then also the uh, archaeological remains of our hunter-gatherer forebears, these people seem to be pretty healthy, and they seem to be generally uh, uh, not suffering from the types of chronic degenerative disease that we see within most of you know the modern world, the developed world. And it it was, within anthropology circles, it was more of like a oh, isn't that interesting? But nobody thought about doing anything about it. You know, it's like, well, these people had no medical care. Uh, they had high infant mortality rates, lots of infection, uh, you know, uh, no emergency medicine, but they still had uh, uh, remarkably long lifespans. And, and, you know, if they made it to, to 30 years old, they were as likely as you and I to make it into their 70s or 80s. Incredible. But it was just this, this information that was like hidden in these... Uh, kind of, you know, high level academic circles and nobody had thought to, to do anything about it. And, and this is back in what you're about. Day, uh, oh, yeah. This, so when I ran across it, it was in 1998. Wow. And, and wow. in uh, 1986, a physician named Boyd Eaton wrote a book called The Paleolithic Prescription. And he's kind of the first person that brought a lot of this per information to the forefront and then it was around 1992 that uh, uh, Professor Lauren Cordain found his work, started working with, with Boyd. And then, uh, you know, he did his book in 2001, but Lauren and I collaborated for a number of years. A lot of other people worked together in this space, but it's really using, not, not trying to do like caveman reenactment, but look at what can we learn from these pre-Westernized societies both what they do, what they don't do, and can we take some of the best practices out of that and apply it to our modern lives for, for some benefit? And, and again, a lot of Lauren's early work looked uh, really closely at a lot of gastrointestinal digestive-related issues, celiac yeah. disease, um, ulcerative colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, and it seems to be endemic in you know westernized populations, and uh, you, you can't really find it in these modern hunter-gatherer groups. And we assume that there probably wasn't much of it going on in our, our ancestral setting. And yeah. so this, this was enough of an impetus for me to just give it a shot. And so I cut out all grains, legumes, and dairy, started eating pastured meat, fruits and vegetables, um, pretty quickly realized that I did better more on the, the kind of fat and protein side, a little bit more of a ketogenic looking 
looking uh, profile versus more fruit and roots and tubers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's been 22 years since I, I kind of kind of dug into that and made those discoveries. Wow. Because I feel like uh, you know, we share a similar background around that same time period. I was going through a lot of health crisis. I was trying to overcome being overweight. I was in college and, and uh, had figured out some basic things, not a lot. I knew a little bit about HIIT training. Uh, and you know what I was told back then, and I'm sure you heard the old solution for anyone who wanted to get healthy was to either count calories, you know, that calories would be the solution. We're, we're told that for, I don't know how many years, you know, Weight Watchers still, they don't count points, but they're they're looking at, you know, calories and uh, trying to see the biggest bang for the least amount of calories. And it, it seemed to help, but it was so much work. And I'll tell you, right. during COVID, I had, and the reason we're probably talking, so we have to give a thank you to Mark Sisson. I have uh, been friends with him for so many years. You know, he's been a, a nutrition mentor of mine for almost 17 years. We met years ago when I was living in San Diego. And then when I lived in Malibu for about three years, we had more time together. And then he created Primal Kitchen, which I'm sure you know of, and mm-hmm. his love of avocados and all that. And he, during COVID, said, Jorge, I've read a book. You've got to read this. I'm eating less vegetables. I'm eating more animal-based protein. I said, Mark, really? Because, you know, this is the man that sells sal- salad dressing. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, he, right. And we have the big-ass salad. You know what Mark always says? He's right. like, well, I'm still having a salad, but it's not as big and I'm having more meat. And it was the book by Paul Saladino, you know, The Carnivore Code. And so I read that and the light went off. We, Mark and I did a couple podcasts and he introduced me to Paul and that led me to talking to various other people. And I think that's why you and I are talking because I feel like You've really been there ahead of time, and you worked with, if I remember right, the forward by by this is this was this your first book, Rob? That was the first one. Yep. And yep. there 2010. he is, Lauren yep. Cordain, right there on the on the yeah. He, was, he wrote the forward. Yeah. So I feel like for anyone out there, the the blueprint. We'll talk about that on the show here. I think that's important because it's kind of been what has allowed you to have control over your health, I would think, right? And right. all those issues yep. that you had and, and your mom's issues have been at bay now for over 20 years. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it's definitely been an iterative process. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I remember early on that I would get really prickly when people would say, oh, that's just this all meat diet. And I would, I would, uh, no, no, no. We eat lots of vegetables and everything. Sure, sure. And then ironically, I'm the guy that probably does better with fewer vegetables as opposed to more. You know, I do pretty well with tomatoes and avocados, some artichokes, yeah. but it's interesting. Um, since I've really focused on what things that I eat, it, so long as I eat the things that my digestion is great with, yeah, I do wonderfully. And then yeah, when I yeah. deviate off that plan and I get stuff that, that I, I've never really been constipated. I've been more on the, the looser side of things. If yes, anything, yes. And if I, if I get into that, that bad things area, happen. then the rest of my health is bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. really crazy. Well, yeah. and, and I love that. I mean, obviously it's a such common sense. It's almost like one plus one equals two where, you know, and for me that, that it was a little bit, it took a minute for me to absorb what Mark Sisson had told me. This is maybe nine months ago. Um, and, and really this idea of eating more animal-based nutrition, but he kind of did what you just said. He looked at it from an anthropo- anthropological viewpoint and a historical viewpoint. And, you know, it's hard to, to argue with history unless obviously it's, you know, uh, you know, made up history, but I think there's enough science to know and enough history 
history to know that ancient man, you know, and, you know, I, I recently uh, spoke with Dr. James D. Nickel Antonio, and he was mm -hmm. talking about how much of our diet changed just in the 1930s with the invention of the refrigerator, right? And right. how we dropped our sodium intake. But before in the 1920s, and you go way, way, way back, we preserved meat with salt and salt intake, yep. he mentioned to us was as high as 25 grams a day to 80 grams a day, you know, and now today people are, you know, scared of salt and sodium. And, and I'm such a big advocate of that. So I think we're going to have a great uh, conversation here. Uh, because I also want to talk about salt with you, because I, I know you're a big advocate of sodium and healthy use of sodium. And uh, but let's do this, because I feel like everyone watching and listening to the podcast, you know, they want to eat healthy. And I think the cat is out of the bag, or I don't know if that's the saying, but it's out there that people know that sugar and carbs are something that um, we need to minimize, we'll say, right? And right. Uh, possibly, and more high protein, high fat is probably healthier, but people feel like, oh, I just don't have the discipline. I don't have the willpower. But I've heard a lot of your conversations on why it's not our fault, because the way, you know, I think it's two part possibly, and you tell them to guide me on this, but I feel like sugar and carbs have this impact on dopamine and serotonin. So we're kind of like makes us feel good, you know? So I always tell my clients, it may not be your fault. So I remember when I was working with Steve Harvey and uh, he really wanted to cut out sugar, but he's like, horror. I just love sugar. <laughs> I was like, it's not your fault, Mr. Harvey, you know? And, and I've worked with so many of these high-end television kind of personalities. They, they feel like they're strong in so many areas, but yet they're weak when it comes to just putting down sugar and carbs, you know? And I feel like there's a, there's a biological kind of link to it. So it's not our fault necessarily. But then in today's modern world, I loved your example in one of the interviews I was watching of yours where you talked about the old line for Frito-Lays, was it, right? I bet you, but yep. you can't eat just one, right? And so they do things to food now to kind of make it even more addictive. Can you share with us a little bit why it's not our fault that we probably are overeating a diet that's not based on our ancestors, you know, because basically, you know, if, if an animal-based, more high-protein, high-fat diet is ideal, and we can talk about that in a few minutes, but tell us why, as much as we may even know that, we we... How would you say it, Rob? I feel like we're addicted to sugar and carbs in this world. And, and I see a lot of that with clients I work with and, and they think it's their fault, but I kind of want to say, you know, it's, it's biologically wired that way to some degree. And yet, you know, these food companies make the food even more addictive. And, and so it's right. hard to quit when it's everywhere. And, and it's, you know, and you even talked, I think in one of your talks about just seeing the food makes you excited and the food porn, right? right. Want to eat right. it, let alone that raises insulin and all these insulin spiking foods cause issues. So would you take it away? Tell us a little bit about how this may not just be our fault and not that we want to blame people, but I want to take the pressure off of people listening because I think a lot of people feel like they're, they're failures because they just don't have the willpower. And, and I think what whatever you can share to help them understand that, um, that, you know, that it may not be their fault. And yet we'll talk about the solution in a minute and maybe how to make that transition. But would you kick that off for us, please, Rob? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because, and you alluded to this at the outset that the yeah. main tool that we've been given uh, from the mainstream folks is calorie counting. And I, I'm this person, I, I manage to make everybody angry because you have people that are like, it's only calories. And then you have people that are like, it's only insulin. And I'm in this spot where calories definitely matter, but they matter in that we need to figure out a way that we can spontaneously eat in a way that doesn't make us sick. 
Um, we, yes. we, you know, we can't do constant moderation. We, we, we can't have a lock on the refrigerator. You know, I mean, there's, there's just some stuff there. And what, what's interesting for me is that generally if people get enough protein, which virtually nobody gets enough protein, um, that's an amazing beginning point because protein is the most satiating food that we can eat, you know, dense yeah. protein sources. And then from there, we have to do a little bit of tinkering. I think that maybe 60, 70% of people do better on a little bit lower carb side of things, but higher yeah. protein. I, agree. I think there are definitely people out there that just crush it on higher protein, low fat, good carb sources. Like clearly everybody knows some of these, these people yeah. out there. But the place that people absolutely fail is this middle ground where we're eating fat carb combo meals. Yeah. And it is, it is just like, it, it's booby traps everywhere. This stuff is designed to bypass the neuroregulation of appetite. The, the way that our brain tells us whether we have enough calories and we don't need to eat or yeah. we are, are needing some energy and we do need to eat. But these engineered foods basically spin those dopamine receptors in the brain and keep us in this constant, you know, seeking process for food. And yeah. if you're telling people just weigh and measure your food, but you give them food that is addictive as cocaine or something, <laughs> then it, it's kind of like, I mean, give an addict like a bag of heroin. It's like, hey, man, have at it. Just be reasonable with it. You know, it's yeah. like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's yeah. maybe a, a little bit of a stretch to make that analogy. But, you know, the many people that have struggled with with losing weight, getting healthier, maintaining weight. Well, I'll, I'll give you a, a, an example. We worked with yeah. a client who had been a meth addict. And she managed to change her life. I mean, she was homeless at one time, got, wow. got through all that, but she became a smoker and she <laughs> became a sugar addict. Um, she started working with us and we're, we were like, let's tackle one and then the other. So we went after sugar first yeah. and she said unequivocally that it was harder to stop sugar than it was to get off of meth. Wow. And this is in part wow. because we all eat you know, two or three meals a day. There is food yeah. all around us. There's, it, there's even for a meth addict, meth is not everywhere that they're turning. It's not, yes, on it's not every TV. Advertising, it's not everywhere. You know, right? it's, yeah. yeah, it's literally everywhere. And so we had to get her through that. And then we did eventually help her to, to transition from smoking to just chewing nicotine gum. And then we called it, called it a win at yeah. the end of the day there. But it, it's, I think people really underestimate or don't give enough weight to really how difficult it is to navigate the modern food world. Yeah. And when yeah. people realize that, then all of this guilt and this, this anger and, and kind of ugly feelings that they direct yeah. at themselves, we can kind of let that go. Um, it doesn't mean that we give up. Um, no. Now it's kind of like you understand this situation, but we're at least operating from a spot where it's like, hey, I get it that it's hard. It is hard. Now we need strategies for dealing with this. And I, I guess my, my best analogy there is if you don't want to test your self-defense skills, you don't go to biker bars at 2 a.m. with your wallet on your head with $100 bills hanging out. You know, it's like it, 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 if you did that and you got jumped and you were like surprised about it, this would be ridiculous, you know? And then you're a little naive there. Yeah. yeah. It, it'd be a little naive. And this is one of the first steps that we do with folks that we're working with. We, we, mm -hmm. 
one kind of survey them and make sure they're really ready to change. Like, are you legitimately ready to change? Sometimes people just aren't and that's okay. But if they're really ready to change, we have to change the home environment. And we, we basically gut the pantry, gut the refrigerator, all of that food. That's not going to do them any good. We give it to like a, you know, a food bank or something like that. And then we start afresh because nobody lays in bed at night thinking about like pork loin and broccoli. They think about the little Debbie snack cakes. No, it's sugar and carbs and and the potato chips, the lays, the lays. We went the lays and the salt is okay in the lays. It's just all the other crap that's in there. Right, Rob? Because starting with the potato. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I love that. I love when do you feel that people not to interrupt, but when are people from all your years of doing these kind of, they feel like interventions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it should be a TV show. We, we should talk about that. It'd be fun. <laughs> but when you go in there- We thought when, about it for a while. Right? When do you feel, or what's the, 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 for anyone listening, if they're on that verge, what is the key sign that you've seen when people are ready for that kind of, I don't want to say it's a big deal. It's going in there and cleaning out your kitchen. It's not the whole house and just getting rid of the, the, of the insulin spiking foods, it seems, right? The sugar, the carbs, yeah. the addictions. What is that signal that you've seen when people are ready for the green light to, to do that? Because I think that might be valuable for the listeners so they can get their mind in that position, you know? Man, that's a really good question. I don't know if anybody's ever asked, asked that specifically. It, if, these are rough numbers, but like, but if just we, guess. It, it, yeah. you know, a hundred people come through the, the gym working with us. Yeah. I'd say about 50 of those people, if we sit down, we're like, Hey, what, what's your goal here? And they're like, I want to look good. I want to get back into the, the jeans that I wore before yeah. I had three kids or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, here's how we're going to tackle this. We're going to focus on protein. We're going to focus on your sleep. We're going to, you know, we're, we kind of detail it. And they're like, comprehensive. Great. I'm yeah, yeah. Yep, I'm in done. There's no drama. They, they clean out the house or they're just in. Then the remaining 50%, um, about half of those people, 25 people, um, it's an absolute battle. They fight and drag feet and, and have excuses. And, and over the course of time, you start, you get like a hound dog where like somebody just says one word and your ears perk up and you're like, I know exactly where you're going, you know, and, and those people, you will eventually get there, but it is an absolute battle. And then those are the people that when they flip, they become like religiously converted. They're the people that become annoying about paleo or keto or whatever. You're just like, dude, shut up. I get it. Like you're, you're going to turn Hardcore. people off. They of this, become you know? big believers, right? Almost like it's as, as big a pain in the ass fanatical. as they were on the front fanatical. side, they're yeah. as big a pain in the ass on the backside, you well, know, as Tony Robbins would probably a, call that a, a quality problem, but it is a problem because they're yes. a little too extreme, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But a little too extreme. This is, this is perfect. Yeah. It, and then there's kind of this remaining 25 people that, um, the ability to reach them is very, very difficult. And, and it's almost no amount of begging, cajoling will reach them. And usually for those folks, it's some sort of a, a very emotionally based life event, either that is preventing them from, from going forward or that actually inspires them to do something. I, I, will, I will say, so you have three kids, right? Yeah. Do you want to see them graduate high school? do you want to meet your grandchildren? Wow. And yes, yes. And it's like, well, you're not going to, if we don't do something different. 
And it, I, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm going to be here for that. I will yeah. see them graduate high school. I will meet their grandchildren. You may not. And so you need to find the thing that is important enough for you yes. that we can make some change. And maybe out of that final 25 people might get five, might get 10. And then there's just mm-hmm. one, one group of folks. And I mean, uh, uh, God bless my mom, but like my, part of the reason why to the degree I'm good at doing this is my mom was the, the person I could never, ever reach. Like, no, it, it, she was one of the 25. She was one of the, the one of the holdouts, you know, and I, wow. it was, it was like, and I learned a bunch of stuff about my mom very close to the end of her life. She had a, a, a first marriage where she was horribly abused. Um, they, she, she grew up in the, the Great Depression. Like they moved from Arkansas across the, the country, went to California, lived in logging camps. I mean, my mom, my mom was a tough woman. Like when I think about what she went through and what she did and sacrificed for us as kids, I'm yeah. like, man, I don't know if I could have done that. And I wish I would have known this stuff earlier in my life. I would have had a lot more empathy for what she had gone through. But I mean, it, it was literally like the maybe the last year of her life that I became aware of most of this yeah. stuff. She but, probably didn't want to share that. It was a little embarrassing or not, not something she wanted to talk about. Yeah. I think just soul crushing for, yeah. you know, just, just yeah. so, so painful. And so... There are some folks that, that, you know, whether, and and again, maybe somebody else could have reached my mom uh, or maybe this was just Mm -hmm. the lot that she, you know, that she drew in, in this life. And, and that's, that's what it was. I will say that, um, I'm tenacious the way that I am because I Mm -hmm. didn't ever succeed in getting my mom Mm -hmm. where I I thought I could, could get her, you know, I may have abandoned all this stuff and just become a, a, you know, research biochemist as a PhD or something instead, you know, but it, it really put a fire in my belly to try to help as many people as, as I could. Yeah, no, I love that. That's, uh, that's, I, I lost my mom 20 years ago and, and, uh, you know, kind of a similar type of story and, uh, it's hard, but it does cause us to have uh, a reason that's strong. So in these people that are successful and want to convert, it's usually they have, they have a reason and they can make that connection. And then yep. obviously 25% maybe just can, and some adverse childhood event or, you know, young child, young adult event stops them because I feel like the very same reason people probably would do a strong drug like a meth or something or cocaine is kind of the reason they would also do sugars because it does help them escape, right? It makes you feel yep. good. I mean, and so, and then with the, with the um, insulin spiking issues of all these sugar and carbs that replace hopefully, you know, the, the, the harsher stuff, you still end up putting your body at risk. So maybe let's do this because I know in your study, the solution seems to be more of a meat-based diet, you know, an animal-based mm-hmm. diet. And I've interviewed enough of these folks to know that for me, I do well on that. And I think the majority of my celebrity clients and clients I work with online and readers of books that I've written in the past, I've kind of talked about it in the last year. 2020 has been my my awakening, like I shared with you, this whole uh, conversation I had with Mark probably eight months ago. And I'm the guy that's written enough books. I mean, I'm over 30, I have them back here. <laughs> it's crazy, right? And most all of them have always brought in this idea of a balanced nutrition, kind of like a template mm-hmm. for all. And I'm not saying that, you know, nutrition isn't personalized, but for the majority of the folks I'm now working with and still working with, you know, uh, it seems that their, their health transforms when they follow the diet you've been talking about 
you know, a high fat, high protein diet, uh, and high fat as well, you know, and, and, um, and more of an animal based diet. And I feel like, could we, could we start that part of the conversation a little bit of this, this possible solution? And, you know, obviously it's not for everyone, but I would say, a good chunk of people listening already converted to this, but I want them to understand that, you know, this isn't some extreme way of eating that our ancestors, and as you already said, for, I mean, Mark Sisson says up to 2 million years ago, you know, two or 3 million years ago, let alone a thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago, way before the refrigerator was invented, we were eating protein from animals. It just seems to be the thing that was on this earth for us to eat that was available. You know, we didn't have all these carbohydrates and packaged foods. And there wasn't a lot of sugar and fruits and vegetables that were available unless you're around the, the equator, right? Tropical right. zones and all that. And whatever vegetables or nuts, little things you're able to gather, maybe more for um, the reason of survival. But it seems like we thrived more with a good meat-based diet. But can you share with us a little bit of that? Because I think people listening that may be onto this, this would encourage them to continue. And that's not some fad that you just do for a year. You've been following this kind of a diet for over 20 years, right, right Rob? Uh, yeah, I was ketogenic for, yeah. for, I've been ketogenic more or less for 22. And I would say like the, the last maybe two years, uh, what Paul Saladino would call carnivore-ish, you yes. know, where I, yeah. I kind of, I, I try to get as much latitude as I can, but there's kind of a reality that I, I, for good or ill, I just don't have a ton of latitude. Like if I want to be yeah. healthy, you stick to I, it. I'm, I'm fairly constrained on that. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Uh, I've always, so I did some work with, with kind of high level athletes, some MMA folks, some, mm. some a, a couple of Olympic medalists and stuff like that. Super cool. Um, I did a lot of work with, uh, say like Naval special warfare with the seals and, and, uh, wow. police and fire really enjoyed that stuff. But my passion has always been people with gut and autoimmune disease because mm. that's right in my wheelhouse, yeah. you know? And, yep. and, and it was early on that I had this sense. Well, there was, there was a woman that came into, uh, the gym, different, different gal, uh, 20 year pack a day smoker. She was a night shift nurse. She was an absolute mess. Yeah. And we got her in amazing shape. She stopped smoking. She, we got her at, out of the night job and into a day job. And I mean, she, her life was just transformed and she eventually moved out of California, moved back to where she, she grew up. And when she left, like she just hugged me and was like sobbing. She's like, oh. you saved my life, you know? Wow. And, and, and one, she saved her life. Like I, I helped, but you guided her, I but was, she did that. Yeah. She did the I, work. I definitely did whatever I could to help, but it struck me. I'm like, man, saving somebody's life. That's a pretty big gig, you know? <laughs> you know? And it's like getting somebody a medal at, at, you know, at a regional event or something that's cool. But what I noticed working with athletes I was mainly a speed bump. My main job mm. was to prevent these people from overtraining and trying to kill themselves with exercise, which was okay, but not that gratifying. Whereas like if I worked with somebody that had autoimmune disease or type two diabetes or something, it really mattered. Like it, it could dramatically change their life, the life of their family and everything. So I really doubled down on that. Um, there's a concept called the autoimmune paleo diet, which I developed early in this story where it's an iteration, even more kind of, kind of strict than the standard paleo diet that, uh, it helped a lot of people with, with lupus, multiple sclerosis, you know, different GI problems, but it wasn't perfect. Like it helped people, but it wasn't this just kind of like really miraculous shift and it's hard to do. Like it, it's kind of mind numbingly hard to do. 
And it was a couple of years ago, I started seeing some stuff from Jordan Peterson, Michaela Peterson, some other folks that had had like 20 year long GI problems, you know, a lifetime of depression, autoimmune disease. And they went on this all meat diet, meat, salt, and water, and their conditions just completely went into remission. And say I that one like, more time, the three ingredients, because I hear Sean Baker say those three things and a lot of people- Meat, are, salt, and water. <laughs> sounds know? like what our ancestors ate, right? I mean, to dumb it down, yeah. three things. Yeah. You know, people love variety, but it's so simple, the solution. It, well, Can you tell us why that seems to work for many people? We're not going to say everyone, but it, for, for some- for some, it, it, the majority. it's interesting. Some people, so we've in the, uh, gosh, who's the, uh, Gretchen Rubin. She, mm. she's the four tendencies and there are folks that abstinence is far, far easier than moderation. It's like, uh, I would so. better us, to us. just not have the chocolate cake in the house. If it's here, I'm going to eat it all. Like there isn't an, a, a moderation deal with that. And just I just get it out of the house, not even in the garage. You got to get it out of the garage, <laughs> give it out, well, throw it you, out. <laughs> you either, you either get it out externally or I'll get it out internally. you like, I'll eat the whole damn thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think that to some degree, a very limited diet is almost freeing for some people in a way, because it's like, here are my lane lines, salt, water, meat done. I don't need to think I'm not tempted. It, I'm totally good to go. And I was just seeing people that they were posting uh, blood work where they had super high anti-nuclear antibody counts for like lupus. And then it went to normal. That just doesn't happen. I mean, it's super rare and it was person after person and folks with all these really gnarly GI problems and depression. And it was just so consistent. And and how so was, was depression? Was, because I think people are not yeah. thinking, they're thinking diabetes, they're overweight, they have belly fat. But I mean, a lot of people with COVID-19 are feeling, you know, overwhelmed, super uh, depressed and, overwhelmed. and depressed. Yeah. But how does that impact that? Spend a minute on that because I feel like we get the, the weight loss, but the yeah. mind, it, right? Well, and, and what this stuff appears to do, and, and it still doesn't entirely make sense to me, but there seems to be something going on with the gut microbiome or, or healing the gut in some way. And this seems totally crazy because we usually associate fiber and plants with material that feeds the gut microbiome and, and produce these short chain uh, saturated fats, butyrate and whatnot that, that feed the gut and are beneficial for the brain. But when you really dig into that whole story, the, the gut microbiota do the same thing with protein. They do the same thing with amino acids. They use them for, for fermentable uh, uh, structures to make butyrate and propionate and all this stuff. But the, the, the science I am not remotely sure of, but the clinical outcomes of people getting healthier, of no longer having gut issues, depression, autoimmune disease. I mean, just shocking transformations. And that was really, that was the hook for me. And, and I've got to say, I, I drug my feet on it for a while. Cause I'm like, really? Like kale is bad. And you know, I mean, okay, cook it well and don't eat so much that you get goiter or whatever. But, um, I was actually so close to it that it, it probably took me extra long to go that last little bit yeah, as I, I, I kind of use the, the plant intake as like, well, this is how I'm mitigating any other kind of like, like downside factors. But we, we just recently had one of the, the first studies looking at the gut microbiome of carnivore 
you know, eating folks, folks that are only eating animal products. And it looks great. Right. Um, I don't yeah. know that this is going to be the story for everybody. I doubt it would be the story for everybody, sure, sure. but you know, for people that have like tried everything and there's one last rock to turn over, like a carnivore type diet, man, give it a shot. Particularly if you just, you know, if you haven't been able to get a foothold with your health any other way, um, I would have been way more circumspect making that recommendation five years ago. It's like, man, this seems really, really extreme. It does. You just right? have more and more yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel like when Mark Sisson told me that he's eating less salad, I was in shock because, you know, this is the guy selling salad dressing and he still does eat that. And, you know, some of his dressings are good on meat, which I love. And his uh, yeah. avocado mayo, yep. I put a dollop of it on my steak and all that. And it's good fat. Uh, I think avocados are still healthy to some degree. Yep. You know, I haven't cut that out. But um, but yeah, I've limited my diet really to uh, an animal-based diet. It makes it so much easier, you know, whether I get the meat at Costco. Now there's a debate maybe you can help us for a minute on this because i feel like hey it's jorge and i just wanted to interrupt the show just for a moment to invite you to head on over and sign up for my daily zero hunger email that will give you each day a simple what to eat to get radical control over your sugar carb and salty snack food cravings and if this is something you want to conquer and make a lifestyle the newsletter is important. It will really give you tools every day to keep building that momentum to create a lifestyle where you're in control of sugar and carbs. So if that sounds good, check it out. Simply go to zerohungerplan.com. I'll spell it for you. It's with a Z, Z-E-R-O, zerohungerplan.com, and it's all free. I'll see you there. Let's get back to the show. you've written a new book and I have a copy of it and it talks yep. about the planet, the sacred cow. And you know, a lot of people think eating meat and I've met some of these people, especially in Hollywood, you know, some of them aren't doing it for their health. You know, they're doing it to help the earth, <laughs> you know, and I won't eat meat because meat is so bad for the planet. It's destroying the environment. It's worse than carbon, the carbon footprint and all this stuff. And I know that there's another opinion. I think you share that other opinion with many other experts that that may not be true. So we can talk about that. I think that's important because a lot of people that I've met that were vegan or are vegan do it to not kill the poor animals and do it not to hurt the earth. And so that their intentions are obviously, I mean, that's a good thing, you know, Amazing. kill yeah. and destroy yeah. and let's, let's be positive and let's eat these, these vegetables. But, you know, when you talk to people like Paul Saladino, he'll tell you 99% of most plants are toxic and are here to harm us if we eat them. <laughs> so, you know, they've got their guards up and it's like 1% of things out there in the vegetable world may be okay for us to eat. And, you know, I still have on occasion some squash. That's something uh, Saladino mm -hmm. told me to, to eat, but, and avocados are okay and things like that and a few berries, but I, I'm cautious of that. But this meat-based diet, I feel like it's so, for me, it took a while. Mark had these talks with me and then we, we, we spoke to all these experts from Sean Baker to, to Paul and, and, and now with you. And I feel like you have been cautious of this, but I feel like if anyone has studied this at a high level, you're one of these very incredible, um, you know, people that are, their attention to detail is high. 
for someone who's on the cusp of doing this, I mean, let's talk about what the diet is. I mean, it seems like it's only three things if you if you just simplify it, right? Truly an animal-based diet. And I don't know if you want to share if it has to be organic or grass-fed and all that. I know some people say it's not that big of a deal. Some people say it's important. Some people say you need organ meat. So maybe give us a little bit of what the meat is, the salt. Let's get into the salt talk because I love salt and you know how much we, yep. we, we need that, especially if we're on a keto diet. And also maybe if you, if you don't mind talking about how salt can help us control hunger because a lot of my clients will end up fasting and doing the OMAD type of vibe, you know, the one yep. meal a day. And they're in shock that, you know, that I've told them to do a thousand milligrams of salt or sodium in their water or to do one of these little packets that you guys have. And they're doing it and they may have two or three, maybe, you know, they may go a little extra four or five and, you know, and uh, they have no hunger when they drink that in 32 ounces of water, it just goes away and they have control yep. for an hour or two until, you know, they may pee, but that's about it. And uh, when you don't pair it with carbohydrates and insulin spiking foods, according to like Dr. James, you know, you don't have that high blood pressure issue, which I'm sure you know of that, right. that combo. And so, and a lot of people are cutting out the carbs that I work with. So they seem to be fine. There's no high blood pressure. There's no like, oh, I'm going to die because people think salt's so bad. So we have meat, we have salt and then water, right? Those are the three. Right. Could you walk us into that? We'll start with the meat and tell us what, what, you know, what, what your thoughts are on that. Because obviously, you know, is it, is it just red meat? Is it fish? Is it chicken? What, what, I mean, how, how broad do you make that? And then how specific is the meat? Is it grass fed? Does it have to be grass fed? Because I know some people are on a budget and, you know, if you go to Costco, you can get four ribeyes for about 40 bucks. And if they're grass fed, they may be a little bit more, you know, and maybe right. double. And I don't know how, what your opinion is on that. And obviously the organ meat. So maybe we start with the meat. Let's start with that. And then we'll go into salt and then however you want to talk about water at the end, that'd be awesome. Cool. Cool. It's, it's funny because, uh, you would think that explaining a carnivore diet would be the easiest thing in the world, but <laughs> digging into this, you yeah. it, like, as a kid, I could never figure out why there were so many different religions. I, yes. it, I would ask my, yes. I asked my mom, I'm like, so all of these people are Christians, but they're all, you know, it's like Methodist and, pro, uh, uh, you know, it's like, how the heck does this happen? And when I've seen the growth of uh, dietary, uh, you know, niches, I'm like, yeah. oh, that's how it happens. Because you get one like person a religion. Like, this, yeah. is, this is it, you know. So yeah. I'll, I'll do my best job on this. But you know, there are some people like like Paul who yeah. are adamant. You have to eat nose to tail. You yeah. you know, you have to do um, uh, all the organs, all the fiddly bits. Yep. Um, you can include the seafood. fiddly bits. I like that. The fiddly bits. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, organ meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> seafood, crickets. You know, I mean, on and on and on. But then you have some people like Michaela Peterson, and I'm, I'm blanking on, on the, the woman's name. Um, she's been eating a carnivore diet for 26 years. She had rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. And what she found is that she, if she ate anything other than a ribeye, she had problems. So she has eaten ribeye, salt, and water for 26 years. She's in her early 50s. She's beautiful. She looks amazing. <sighs> I mean, re hot woman, really good wow. looking. And just ribeyes. I mean, that is one of my favorites. I, mean, I don't know why. They're and, just so and, juicy and easy to make in 10, 12 well, they, minutes. They have adequate fat, so you don't really have to add fat to them. They're kind of a one-stop shop in that regard. Mm -hmm. So I've called it like one-cut carnivore, where there are some people that for health reasons or whatever reasons, they just ribeye or, or, or you know, whatever. That's kind of their gig. 
And then it, it goes all the way over to, um, you know, nose to tail. It's interesting. I've eaten nose to tail. I've eaten not nose to tail. I can't say I've noticed all that much difference. Um, I'm a big fan of things like menudo and stuff like that. And so I just kind of, I use tripe and, and, and things that I enjoy. Um, being nearly 50, I've reached this point where I'm like, damn it. I don't really it, like, and I'm limited enough in what I can eat where I'm like, damn it. I, I'm going to eat what I enjoy. <laughs> and That's it. And yeah. so like, I like, I like pho. I like menudo. I make those things, you know, within this kind of carnivore-esque world. Yeah. And so I, I do some of that, but, um, do you ever do a little I, liver or heart beef heart? I do or? a little liver. I do a little heart. Like we do some, some heart. Or a lot chili. of salt. It tastes good. At least I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like kidneys, yeah. I'll, I'll starve to death before I eat kidneys. Like yeah. I, I, and, and, you know, Paul's like, Oh, you just need to do this. And that. I, you eat it. I'll, I'll save it for you and freeze it for you. He's, he's only like 30 minutes up the road. I'll save it for him. Like kidney, I'm, I'm never going to eat kidney, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. and I just don't know. Like I, I, it makes sense to eat as broad a diet as just, as one can. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I've seen people eat a remarkably, like a stunningly curtailed diet, but like a uh, Michaela Peterson, she did a really comprehensive, um, nutrient analysis, her mm -hmm. vitamin C levels, B vitamin mm -hmm. zinc. She looked great. And she had been eating one cut carnivore for three years, you wow. know, and is this again, the gal that think, looks really good for 20 years or that's another the, the, gal? Well, Michaela is very good looking too, but yeah. uh, Michaela is like <laughs> in her early thirties so yeah, yeah. late twenties, early thirties. So, yeah. um, a, a different person, but it, it, it's interesting. Like yeah. if somebody was going to like keel over and die or have nutrient deficiencies, we should, we should yeah. see it clinically. We should be able to see yeah. it on the blood work and we don't. And again, mm -hmm. Is, is there a situation here where Michaela developed the autoimmune conditions she has in conjunction with, so is the reason she developed autoimmune disease because she would do very well on a carnivore diet? I don't know. Like, and, and this is some of the stuff where like when people just go into this with like religious fervor, I think it's an amazing tool, but it's like hammers are awesome. Saws yeah. are awesome. Oh, screwdrivers sure, sure. are awesome. But I don't want to like lay flooring with a, trying to cut wood with a screwdriver, you know, like yeah, that. So, so like right tool for the right scenario. So it, there's a big spectrum on what people consider to be like carnivore. And I think it's just one of these things where get in, tinker, eat the food you enjoy. Um, you should look, feel and perform better. If we do a little bit of blood work, you should look better, not worse. And then we're, we're doing pretty well with that on the, on the quality of the meat side, Tell for us. sustainability reasons, I really push for the pasture finished meat. Yes. But, uh, and this is something that people just rail against me. But as a biochemist, when I look at the nutrient differences between 100% pastured meat versus what you would get from like Costco, yeah. there's not that much difference. And part Say of that, that again. Is, so you're saying in the sense of our nutritional health, personally, not maybe for the yeah. earth, but go ahead there's just not that much difference. Mm. Like it, when I analyze it and look at protein, uh, 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 amino acids, um, vitamins, minerals, there's just not that much difference between them. There's a tiny bit more omega threes in grass fed meat than there is in conventional meat, okay. but you need to eat eight pounds of grass fed meat to get the same amount of omega threes as you get in a two ounce piece of salmon. 
So if we're getting wrapped around the axle of omega-3s, that, that it's a silly argument. It, it, it's really kind of a silly argument. It's not practical. Now, yeah, who's going to eat eight pounds? It's not practical. It's not the place to, yeah. to be concerned. Yeah. 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 Stuffed. Um, yeah. Uh, pastured dairy is a huge difference versus conventional dairy. Wild-caught fish is a huge difference versus conventional. Um, pastured eggs are a massive difference versus conventional eggs. So there are situations where that really does matter. And the fact that this is kind of all over the place and I don't have like a wall of, yeah. of religious doctrine makes people hate me. Like, well, the, but you the, can't, the, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's hard just to create funny something. though. Like, yeah, no good. Yeah. You know, people have their, their preconceived notions and I would let, it would be so good from a storytelling perspective. No man, grass fed meat is way, way better than pastured meat. That just fits my whole narrative, but it, it, it's, it's actually remarkably easy to disprove that fact. Yeah. And then I lose any scientific credibility on that. No, so, no. And you have to be and fair. Also, yeah. Yeah, you know, in this time where people talk a lot about like access and privilege and, and things like that, I think that that's a, a very legitimate, you know, kind of like social justice concern to, to think about. And at the end of the day, a family of four that's living at the margins and they're just trying to do good by themselves just eating more animal products, eating fewer refined carbohydrates, mm -hmm. they will be healthier. They will be more resilient. They'll be less likely to get sick. Like in this, this age of COVID, we know for a fact that metabolic health outside of, of age is like the greatest indicator of whether or not you, you successfully or unsuccessfully navigate COVID or how severe that is. So that's where I get really prickly about the meat elitists where they're like, it has to be a hundred percent organic pastured. And it's like, Okay, that's great for you, but what about a, a you know a family where both both parents work and they're they're doing the best they can for their kids? They want to be healthier. Oh. This is a difference between they can have enough animal-based protein to be really good for the whole family or not have any at all. And that I seems agree. like kind of a you know ridiculous elitist thing that is is too pervasive. And again, if you make good money, if you want to put, you know, support local farmers, want to support that, that regenerative ag scene, absolutely do sure, that. Sure. But let, let's not make it so elitist that somebody feels bad because they're not doing that. It should be okay for anybody to access this and do it any way they want. And just to kind of flip this around, a vegan doctor or, or advocate would never tell someone you can only eat organic broccoli or nothing like they yeah. would never do that, you know, yeah. but yet we have this impetus to do that on the meat side of this. Interesting. Interesting. I, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you're um, yeah, that you're, that you're, you have a range there. And then obviously there's, it's, it starts at good. It's not bad to eat, uh, you know, uh, non grass fed beef, we'll say, or something like that, but it definitely can't hurt to do the other end. And I think in today's world is as so many people are on a budget right right now. I mean, everyone's on a budget, it seems, and we want to be cautious. It's nice to save. I mean, you save some money, right? When it's not grass fed. I mean, it's mm -hmm. maybe not double, but about uh, maybe half. What do you, you think? Rob? Pretty close. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Pretty close to double. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's powerful. Now, before we jump to salt, since we're going to talk about meat, salt, and water in the meat world, I know cheese and eggs and, and butter and things like that may not be considered uh, meat, but I would kind of chunk it in there. How big of a, of a, 
uh, like with your diet, we'll, we'll just go with you as an example, maybe. Um, do you think some of that is necessary? It's okay, because I do have eggs. I'll have some cheese at, at, at times. I try to make sure it's all real cheese and not, you know, good stuff. The yeah. stuff my mom used to get out of a can and pour it out and make right. nachos for me. Right. I don't, it looks like Elmer's yellow, Elmer's glue, right? <laughs> I don't think right. it's real cheese. It never was. But how much of those animal, you know, these, you know, from, from the butters to the eggs to all these, what would you call those, uh, that category of, of animal still products. animal products yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well how, how far on there do you suggest or not suggest i know dairy is always polarizing for people because sometimes people get all sorts of issues i remember a million years ago probably like 30 years ago i met dr andy weil you know, dr wheel mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know with the white beard and he said hey jorge uh, don't eat a lot of dairy because i had asthma is it the case in protein it can cause you to have issues with breathing and i remember removing that and i was in my early 20s my mom was still alive and I had this big, like, whoa, wow, I really could breathe again without milk. Right. You know, and yet I'll use sometimes in my coffee, if I have a coffee, I'll, I'll put a little heavy cream or, or half and half because it doesn't have as much sugar. But are you some flexible on that? I, I like the, the idea of keeping it simple, just meat, salt, and water. But then, you know, there's always that, you know, temptation since it's connected to an animal. Is it okay to have some dairy? Where are you on the dairy, the eggs, miscellaneous little animal products? Or what are your thoughts on that briefly? And then we'll jump into salt. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think folks should kick the tires on all that and kind of see okay. how they do. Yeah. Um, personally, I think I got myself uh, into an, an egg intolerance. So uh -huh. when I eat eggs now, I get really bad gut cramps and like it, it doesn't go well. It's kind of a, a dash to the bathroom. I switched to duck eggs and it was great. And then duck one day eggs. I ate them and I was okay. on the toilet for like five hours. And then I was What's like, I wonder if that was it. Yeah, with eggs, because it seems, is it the fat? It can't be the fat. Maybe it's the protein? Or no, it's the protein. It's the pro I just, I, I ate them too often throughout too many years and developed an intolerance to them. So, so I, I think um, eggs are amazingly nutritious. I can have a little bit of yolk every once in a while. Like if my, yeah. you know, it, it seems a little, little easier. Um, yeah. Here's kind of an interesting thing, though. Um, yeah. Dairy used to, like if I had cheese, if I had yogurt, I would get acne along my chin, on my back. Like it looked like I was like 17 years old. Yeah. And then when I did this more carnivore approach, yeah. if I don't eat plants that give me gut issues, then I can eat dairy with absolute reckless abandon and have no problems, no wow. joint inflammation, zero acne. But if I eat like a salad, ironically, yes. I will have gut problems. And if I have a salad with cheese, I will have acne. So there's something about like irritating my gut. Like so long as I don't eat anything else that irritates my gut, then I think the gut integrity is fine. And I do great with dairy. Like sure. I, I, I uh, Greek yogurt and stuff like that. Like I absolutely crush it. So it's, um, it's another one of those things where I, I would encourage people, particularly if they're heading down this, this lane, tinker with it, see yeah, how you yeah. do, you know, and, and if you do well, um, that's fantastic. If you notice like some, you know, oh, I had, I had yogurt. Now I'm kind of snarfly and sinusy. Maybe it's not a good option for you. And I would encourage people don't, um, don't overly rely on eggs for breakfast. Like mm -hmm. I know they're such a nice go-to, they mm -hmm. taste really good, but like with our, I have 
daughters that are six and eight, and we're really trying to rotate what we do for breakfast because I really don't want them to develop a, an egg intolerance, you know, long-term. It's so easy to do it. It's so easy for them to eat it. They love them, but we, we really try to break that up so Good. that they don't develop an egg intolerance. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I, I feel like that really simplifies it. You did a good job. So no one's going to hate you you on this podcast. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to us about sodium, would you? Because we recently had Dr. James D. D. Nicolantinio. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. James, as I call him (laughs) for for shorthand. And you know, the salt fix is a big deal. He he spent three years, 500 articles. You endorsed his book. You're on the back cover of it. I mean, so we're all on the same page and you know, I'm, and I, I'm a, a fan, shall we say, of your uh, elements, a uh, thousand milligrams of sodium. And, you know, Dr. James really educated us uh, recently talking about how before the refrigerator, we were having 25 to 80 grams of, of salt uh, in preserved meats, whether it's uh, fish or, you know, whatever kind of meat it was, was, it was the only way to preserve it, you know, and right. people weren't eating a lot of carbohydrates back then. And he seems to really believe that the connection to the carbs with the salt, kind of like the pairing you just talked about, like when you do dairy with certain, uh, what was it that caused that reaction? The acne with, uh, was salad dairy with salad for you caused acne i think he said you know with with carbs and salt if you do the two then you could get high blood pressure and things like that but when you get rid of those carbs those salads and all that it changes so tell us why salt sodium is so important and and did you always know this or how did you get so because i would say you're that's one of your passions right now it's kind of part of the healthy revolution is to get people to enjoy more sodium in their life right i mean it's become kind of one of your gigs right Man, man, it's it's interesting, and this really makes the case that um, we all need a coach. Like we yeah. all need people who are outside of our our sphere of influence and can can provide some input. So I'm a biochemist by training. I know the metabolic pathways and biochemical you know ins and outs of ketosis pretty darn well, and have eaten this way for a long time, but. Um, I'm a big fan of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I, I just got my brown belt. It's a very demanding sport, you know, particularly as, a, as an old codger, like it, there's a lot going on there. But I always had problems fueling Brazilian jiu-jitsu on a ketogenic diet. Like I, uh-huh. I just felt like I didn't have that lower gear. So I would add some carbs in that would kind of help. But then I would notice I would get on kind of a blood sugar roller coaster. And it just seemed like I was probably get acne too, right? Worlds. You got your acne, you got all sorts yeah, of crap happening. Yeah. <laughs> just so you have and energy so, uh, to, to do your sport, right? So yeah, so continue, yeah. please. So I, I think I know where yeah. you're taking us. <laughs> so so uh, two very good friends of mine, Luis uh, Villasenor and Tyler Cartwright, they founded this, uh, this outfit called Keto Games. And they just work with thousands of people on ketogenic diet in, implementations, the results they get are just stunning. And and I was noticing they had a number of people that were in combative sports, some MMA fighters, some jujitsu people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Hey, could you guys just look at my, my food and what I'm up to and try to give me some input? Like, I always feel like I need to eat more carbs for jujitsu, yeah. but then I don't feel as well. I'm not as cognitively sharp and everything. They looked at it and they're like, your food is great, but you're woefully under in your electrolytes, specifically sodium. And I'm like, nah, I, I salt my food. I'm good. Because what do you do when you have a coach? You ignore what they tell you for at least a year. You know, yeah, of course, like, you don't no, listen to them, you know. I know what I'm doing. And so, here. yeah. And so a good year goes by and they, <laughs> both of them were very patient with me. But they're like, dude, we're just telling you to up your salt. Do it in this 
you know, ABC way. And I did. And it was just a light switch was flipped, which shouldn't be surprising because every muscle twitch we do, every thought we have is a consequence of sodium potassium pumps working in our physiology. Like this is the way that life works is pumping wow. sodium potassium in and in and out of our cells. It's how ATP is produced. It's, it's basically, you know, cornerstone for life. So this was just like this huge eye opener for me. Yeah. And I started poking around and what, what's so interesting, and this is a case for where medical interventions when they get out in the wild can lose some of the, the important underpinnings. So mm. if, if I'm diagnosed with epilepsy and I'm put on a ketogenic diet and I go to a registered dietitian and they lay all this stuff out, they make certain that I get somewhere between five and 10 grams of sodium per day. Because when we lower insulin levels going on a low carb or a ketogenic diet, we, we lower insulin that lowers a hormone called aldosterone. And when aldosterone is low, we just shed sodium like crazy. We pee sodium out. And this is one of the benefits of a low carb diet. People with high blood pressure notice that they pee a whole bunch and then their blood pressure normalizes. The problem is that that's also what we call the keto flu. People feel like hell for a, a, a period of time and potentially for a, a very long time, because when you're in a low carb state, you just need more sodium to, to, uh, to kind of equilibrate things. People really focus a lot on potassium and we do need potassium. But what's interesting is if we don't have enough sodium, our body will excrete potassium. And this is actually the downward spiral mm. that happens. Like every year we hear about people in the military at, at football double days or doing triathlons where they die from over consuming water. They consume water without electrolytes. Their sodium gets gets diluted. So then the body starts excreting potassium and sodium trying to equilibrate things. So, you know, when I started digging into this, I'm like, well, shoot, like people who implement ketogenic diets medically know that you need five to 10 grams of sodium, but it had, I knew that sodium was important, but it had just never really gotten on my radar. But Tyler and Luis work with a shocking number of people at a very high level. And they, they just knew that, you know? And wow. so that was really the impetus for this, this whole thing. And then just kind of a, a funny aside, the way that element yeah. came about, we posted a, how to make your own, you know, a uh, home brew. So it's like yeah. this much regular salt, this much, yeah, yeah. no salt, some yeah. magnesium, uh, it, you know, mix it all together, do some lemon juice, do a little stevia. We, we had like, 300,000 downloads of this thing. Like people loved it. They were like, this is amazing. But then a funny thing happened. People started tagging us on social media and they're like, Hey guys love the, you know, the salt recommendations. But when I carried the three bags of white powder through TSA, they didn't like it, you know, and they would have a picture. It looked like they were like a mule or, or yeah, something. Yeah, and yeah. We, we just started getting tons of this. And then I was like, I wonder if people would buy a conveniently packaged electrolyte. Something so simple. That was, yeah. Yeah. Honest to God, the whole genesis of this thing was just wow. trying to help people avoid the, the huge mistake that I had made. And since we launched this thing, um, we've had some really wacky medical communities come towards us, a, a POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. It's basically a, a scenario where it's mainly kids, but it can be adults. They go from seated to standing 
and they, their heart rate goes up super fast. Wow. They're not able to normalize their blood pressure and they can pass out and, and it can be life-threatening because you can hit your head and suffer a traumatic brain injury. So folks in these POTS communities started using Element and they, it, it just went like wildfire through there. And uh, wow. something that we, we were not looking for that. Another one that was pretty interesting was breastfeeding communities, like the, the exclusive pumpers, like the moms that do exclusive yeah, pumping. Yeah, sure. A couple of them, you know, they showed pictures of like a, a bottle with like hardly any milk in it. And they were like, this is what I did yesterday. I took Element today and then did, and it was like three or four bottles wow. full. And I started digging into the, like the, the physiology on that and sodium suppresses cortisol. It mm -hmm. downregulates aldosterone. It increases fluid volume, which all of these things are really important for increasing breast milk production. Sure. But this is stuff we had absolutely no thought that we were <laughs> wow. going to like affect these people in this way. We were just kind of like, oh, we want to help our, our kind of, you know, the people that, you know, that we kind of hang out sure. with in these kind of sure. low carb athletic spaces. And then it's really gotten these amazing legs within these kind of uh, wacky but interesting medical circles. So it, I it's, think that's uh, yeah. incredibly powerful. You know, I have I have a question from a client of mine that I, she asked me to ask you this, and she's one of my top clients, and she's been doing the OMAD, and for her, she's been using your product. You know, loves this stuff, or and and was making it at home, home brewed style. Oh, cool. Cool. And, you know, and it's not that hard to make. I mean, it's, a, I mean, you always say right here on the box, you kind of give the recipe away right there, <laughs> right? Yeah. A thousand yeah. milligrams yeah. and you can get all that stuff on Amazon or whatever, you know, and things like that. But obviously making it convenient is tricky, but how does this biochemically, you know, in, maybe you can explain this to us when it comes to hunger regulation, because a lot of what we do, you know, and kind of like the theme of our podcast is to help people reduce hunger, you know, especially mm -hmm. with sugar mm -hmm. and carb cravings and all that. How does sodium help so well to curb hunger? Because I feel like in layman's terms, you can probably explain it, because it seems to, to turn off hunger, you know, and it helps you feel energized and you have energy. Yep. And most people are like, oh my God, I need a glass of orange juice, which is as much sugar as a Coca-Cola. And they think, oh, I need orange juice. And, right. you know, a lot of these athletes and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do things like that. I always remember um, when friends of mine were playing sports, they always carried bags of oranges, you know, it was like the magical thing, but it should have been bags of salt, but our little, our little right. packets like this, you know, instead of oranges, but explain how sodium is so good because, you know, there are a lot of people are like, oh, you, you need fiber to turn off hunger, eat more fiber, right? That'll turn off your hunger, you know, bulk up. And that's what turns off your hunger and, you, you, you know, eat high, high volume, low calorie food, but sodium for me has worked for all my clients seems to work. How does it turn off hunger where it gives you I, I would say radical control over your hunger, right, Rob? I mean, explain a little bit of that in layman's terms, if, if you could. Yeah. So I, I, what's happening specifically with the sodium is that sodium does suppress cortisol production. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting. Like people that go on like adrenal fatigue mm -hmm. recovery programs, which do doctors don't like the term adrenal fatigue. Technically it's, uh, a, a HPTA axis dis dysregulation, a, a, a hypothalamus pituitary adrenal. People are sick and broken and they're, they're not functioning well, but Absolutely. sodium really helps that situation. So mm. um, when cortisol elevates, we tend to get elevated blood sugar. We tend to get a suppression in, in some of the other appetite controlling hormones, because when, when we're in a stress state, 
evolutionarily, it would be good to find some food and, and to eat. And so on, on that front, the suppression of the cortisol, I think, is a major driver in this story. And, and I think that, that that works, you know, very independent. It, it, it's just specific to the sodium. With the element, we have a little bit of flavor and we sweeten it with stevia. And I'm guessing on this, like the, the sodium part is solid. I'm, I'm guessing on this part, but there've been studies where they will have people run on a treadmill to exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, what they will do then is have people rinse their mouth with a sweet flavored solution, but it has no calories in it. And just the taste of sweet gives them another five to 7% before they hit failure. And this is not unlike the, the whole process of, of tasting sweet tasting things and, and having that affect our, our neuroregulation of appetite. But I think something is going on there where we're, we're suppressing cortisol on the sodium side. And then on the neuroregulation of appetite side, we taste some sweet. And so the brain's like, okay, we're good. We've got a little bit of calories. We don't need to freak out. And so I think it allows you to kind of motor through that. That, that second part I'm pretty like speculative that. on. The sodium part I, I think is, is very concrete, it, but it, yeah, yeah. And it really connects to cortisol on the sodium part. Just to yes. give us one more minute on that. So when we are trying to do a fast of say 24 hours, because I have a lot of clients doing this as a kind of a lifestyle. You know, you hear people in the Silicon Valley, like uh, the, the, the owner of, uh, or the, the, the man who created Twitter, right? You know, um, I'm blanking on his name. What's his name? Jack Dorsey. Jack, good old Jack Dorsey. He does one meal yep. a day and yep. he's not doing it to lose weight. He just wants to extend lifespan. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of ideas out there that if you do OMAD, it's good for you. But the biggest concern is hunger, right? And so with yep. cortisol, when it's high, you, you, you tend to, like you said, you, you tend to look for food, but with the sodium, yep. it lowers the cortisol. Is that what I'm getting? Just help me maybe go a little deeper. Not so yeah, that, that, that's that really work? it. Yeah. That, that's really it. And it, maybe the more powerful example of it yeah. uh, dealing with cortisol isn't hunger, but sleep. One of the greatest problems that people have when they start a ketogenic diet or in particular fasting, they'll feel very energized, but so energized that they can't or don't sleep well. And two or three days of that and whatever potential health benefits you had from fasting are ruined because it's, it's like you've been at a, a, you know, a college bachelor party or something like that. And, yeah. um, what's interesting is, uh, some sodium before bed again, downregulates cortisol, downregulates, uh, antidiuretic hormone. Both of those are adrenal hormones. And when you're kicking those off, you usually kick off a little bit of adrenaline. Yeah. So when you suppress those, you tend to suppress hunger, hunger, but yep. you also allow for a normal, more restful sleep. So wow. it, it, it is a very powerful effect. And folks that are fasting, um, if they're, they're fasting, for sure, you want to stay on top of the sodium so that the sleep that you get is as restful and restorative as possible. If, if, you're, if your fasting is making your sleep poor, in my opinion, you would be better off not fasting because there's sure. nothing you can do that is more beneficial than than sleep. sleep. It, but if you add some sodium, yeah. it could help definitely improve the Absolutely. sleep quality. And yeah. I love that Absolutely. you guys have recently come out with a chocolate version of your uh, element, yeah. which is kind of like a nighttime treat, you know, with, uh, with, and it tastes like chocolate milk, even though there's no milk in it, you know? And yeah, we, we do some, we do some whole cream and, and mix it up. I'll do one of those in the morning with, um, coffee 
yeah. and, and a little bit of whole cream. And yeah. then in the evening, sometimes I'll just do the, the hot chocolate alone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I, I think that's so powerful. I mean, salt is, uh, is key. I think it's key. Uh, when you get to water, what are your tips on water? And we'll start wrapping up here because I don't want to take all, all the day from us, but uh, I feel like water is important. You hear a lot of debates on that. Do you keep that kind of simple to spring water? Or what's your suggestion on a good source of water? Since, you know, if we're looking at meat, oh, salt, man. and water, what do you tell people about water these days? I, I wish I had stock in these guys. Um, ah. I, I live, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm eight balling like uh, element and Topo Chico right now. Um, I, you know, if you live in an area where, and you can get a, a very easily go online and look at your yeah. water quality report for the area that you live in. Sure. And if you have some like organic solvents or something like that, there are some good, but inexpensive water filtration systems that, sure. that will pull the bulk of that out. I think that that's smart to do. Um, not to drag this back to sodium, but somewhere along the line, the, the, the discussion of hydration, if you look in a textbook of medical physiology and you look up hydration, it is the water and the electrolytes associated with the water that constitutes hydration. Somewhere along the line, hydration became water only. And we forgot about the, the electrolytes. And that's a and, huge uh, error, right, Rob? A huge error. It's a huge error. It's a, it's a life-threatening error. Um, wow, you know, it, wow. fo football practices, military events, people used to not die from, from hyperhydration in the past. You know, the 1940s, 1950s, that didn't happen. It's kind of crazy. They recommended that people would take salt pills. So they would do a little, you know, 100 milligram salt pill. And then what you would do is you would sip on water to satiety with the sodium and water kind of kind of doing what they do. But yeah. when you consume water absent electrolytes, or if you're not eating enough whole unprocessed foods, yeah. I think that that's where people can can get into some, some problems there. So, I mean, I'm not, I, I maybe should be a little more nazi-esque on like the water quality like yeah. we, we're lucky we we live in a nice area of texas our well yeah. water is good i don't do anything beyond that and yeah. and that's it and then i i drink topo chico like it's, now tell it's us their mineral it, Earth, it's so. a mineral water right it's a mineral water tell yeah, us the yeah, brand again mexican a, mineral water uh, I love topo that. chico topo yeah. chico i've you seen that i've this? seen that in stores no well i've had it once Whoa. or twice in a restaurant okay. But it's the best. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's from Mexico, my hometown. Or I was, I was uh, born in Mexico City. So it's uh, Mexican water. I can't even believe that. It is amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And water should yeah. come from a spring source of some sort, right? We don't want to do distilled water with nothing because that has zero in it, right? Distilled, all that. We want to make yeah, sure it's I mean, mineral water and that, not tap necessarily. It, this tap doesn't have right. minerals for the most part, right? It has more fluoride it, and all these chemicals, right? Depends on where you live. Depends ah. on where you live. So like in central Texas, there's yeah. a ton of limestone around you. E even the municipal water, people need to use water softeners because it has so much mineralization in it. Like your your showers will look like it's frosted glass. And that's the stuff coming out of the, the city water. We, we have well water. And so it's... And we don't need to ingest that, right? No. Well, that's all calcium and magnesium and stuff. Like it, okay. it, it's, it's fine. It's, it's part okay. of it, but it really um, depends a little bit on where you're located. Yeah. Uh, I'm not an expert on this, but there's a, there's a water device called a Cungen or something like that. And mm -hmm. it will automatically add uh, like calcium, magnesium, some sodium, potassium, sure. phosphorus into your water. It, and it filters it first for like, yeah. a, you know, say like organic impurities, and then it adds um, some minerals back into it. I love it. I love it. Well, let's do this since we're running a little, sh not short on time, but I, I feel like I want to end on this note, your new book. 
and how the planet really uh, can benefit from, a, a, you know, because a lot of people think eating what we talked about with meat and all that. I don't think sodium, sodium seems to be a good guy. Water seems to be a good guy, but meat is controversial. How, give us the nutshell of the new book, because I want people to get this book as well. I feel like there's an argument in there that the earth, the planet can benefit from this kind of a lifestyle, not just us. And I know a lot of people avoid meat because they think it's harmful to the planet, but give us a minute or two on that and then we'll wrap up. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a. Uh, that's going to be a tough one to be real succinct. But I'll, I'll do my best. The, the, Give us your your the, best the book. Yeah, yeah. The book covers the health, environmental, and ethical considerations of a meat inclusive food system. Sure. So, you know, we we hear here's maybe one of the the biggest examples that that pops up. Um, there was some some kind of memes going around from some pretty high level people saying that eighty percent of greenhouse gas emissions come from animal product production. Okay. This was patently false. Like the, the real number is closer to around 2%. But if we get that wrong, if we really want to address climate change, but we're looking at something that causes 2% of greenhouse gas emissions, but we're saying it causes 80% of greenhouse gas emissions, hmm. what are we going to allocate resources towards? You know, like it, 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 maybe just as an example, um, if you think you have a fire in your house, but yeah. you don't really know where, yeah, you know, how are you going to be able to address that? You know, and and so climate change is a real deal. We need to do stuff to address it. But the irony is that properly managed uh, a pasture finished meat can sequester more carbon, put more carbon underground, pull it out of the atmosphere, then is produced in its manufacture. Wow. And there aren't many things like that. And there are huge tracts of land, grasslands, desertified areas. In, in the movie that, that we have, I, I, I'm not sure if I sent you a link, but I, I can send it. Please, um, yeah. there's, a, there's a rancher down in the Chihuahuan Desert, and he has recovered a million acres of the Chihuahuan Desert back to grassland. Wow. And, and what this does is it holds water, it produces food, it sequesters carbon. So the, the thing that I would throw out to people is um, don't believe me at a surface level, but also don't dismiss what I or someone like me is saying yeah. just because it doesn't fit the, the, the nuts and bolts of all the kind of dominant uh, media and social media narrative. Um, I think all of us really owe it to ourselves and to our children to put a little bit of effort into understanding this. And I've got to say from a, from a career standpoint, sure. if I just said all meat is bad, it's destroying the environment. Let's go buy some, uh, impossible burger. And I put it <laughs> and I invested money in it. My life would be a lot better and I would be sure. a lot wealthier, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. So the reason why I'm pushing this stuff is, it, and I could be wrong, uh, within science, you always have to have the caveat that, that what, what your, sure. your hypothesis is may not be accurate, but I have done my damnedest to, to understand the nuances of this stuff. Like the grass-fed versus conventional meat is a good, good yeah. example of that. Yeah. yeah. So well, if, I would if say people if are concerned... It, you know, uh, uh, Sacred Cow, the book, and also the film is coming out soon, and that's a really good jumping in place to, to at least, um, to get a sense of 
kind of both sides of what, what the story is and what the arguments are. And again, maybe each person individually will be like, I don't really buy that. But if nothing else, they will understand what the, the I guess, the counterpoint is that's sure. coming out of the regenerative ag scene. Yeah. Well, I feel like you are on the cutting edge here, Rob. I mean, have been on the cutting edge for over 20 years. And I think if people need to follow you, they need to listen to your podcast and, and, and perhaps subscribe to your newsletter and find you on social. Would you share with everyone watching and listening where you're available and all your social and website, et cetera? And, and then the film is coming out soon. Is it next year, 2021? Or when's the film coming out? Uh, yeah, uh, I think January 5th, it should be available pretty much ev everywhere, all platforms. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And, and the book is uh, sacredcow.info. Um, you can track me down at robwolf.com. Um, yep. I honestly try to stay off of social media <laughs> as much yep. as possible. Um, I, I do uh, do a little bit over on Instagram. Yep. My handle there is at Das Rob Wolf, D A S R O B B W O L F. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, those are, and then over at, uh, the drink element website, uh, drinkelement.com, I spend a lot of time there. Oh, no, we love that product. And, uh, and if people want to listen to your podcast, remind them the name of the show. Oh, the healthy rebellion radio is the name of the show. I yep. love it. I love it. We're part of the rebellion with you. I feel like we have to, we're all, we're all here together. And I think, uh, with the intention of improving health, I, I, my hat's off to you. I think what you've done for the last 20 plus years is incredible. And I'm so happy to have this new friendship with you. And I, one day with COVID, hopefully downplayed and, and all that we'll meet in person. I don't know if you're coming to see you anytime soon, but we'll, we'll do, we'll figure that out one of these days. But Rob, thank you so much. It's been such an honor having this conversation with you. And I think, what people are going to discover is that they don't have to be as scared about certain things and that there's a really great solution out there. So thank you, Rob. Thank you for your, for your hard work and your efforts and your passion. We really appreciate it. All right. Today's episode is complete, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I want to ask you to please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast. Uh, and please leave a review on Apple as well. Give it five stars if you think the show has helped you in some way to transform your thinking. I hope it has. And more importantly, share your comments, your review of what today's episode did for your thinking, how it shifted your thinking, and what you got out of it. Because I think that is how we spread this. And for me, this is a revolution. This is not uh, a podcast. This is a way of life. And I hope to transform over a million lives in the next couple of years. And I need your help. So please become part of the Zero Hunger Revolution by leaving that review on Apple Podcasts and subscribing today. Thanks so much. Have a great one. Peace and purpose. And I'll see you on the next episode.